Canucks Central Wednesday. A happy San Valentino to you and yours, as uh, it is February the 14th. Here in the Kintec studio, it is Canucks Central. We are four Enzyme Pacific Vancouver's premier Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, and Jeep Superstore on 2nd Avenue between Canby and Main or at EnzymePacificChrysler.ca. A lot to come on this program. A little bit later, we'll go to the Dispatch Heating and Air Conditioning Hotline to welcome in Kevin Woodley to the program. And also, of course, as it is a Wednesday, we'll have an overrated, underrated. So uh, make sure to have your Valentine's Day-themed Overrated, underrated topics, I guess. Uh, yeah, or whatever theme you prefer. <laughs> Any theme you like is overrated, underrated. It is for you to choose whatever topics you want us to discuss, and we'll try to get to as many as humanly possible. And there will be uh, lots of Canucks topics, especially with Phil Kessel skating amongst the Abbotsford Canucks today. And, uh, you know, we'll, uh, we'll discuss Phil, Phil the Thrill. He's brought some thrill to Canucks Twitter and the like over the last 24 hours or so as it first became known that Phil was in Vancouver today, skated with the Abbotsford Canucks. But the Canucks coming off a win last night, Sat, yet again. Mm-hmm. Uh, they beat the Chicago Blackhawks. They seep, sweep the season series against the Blackhawks, so they get all the six points that they should get against the league's worst team. In Chicago, a team that just is really having a hard time scoring without Connor Bedard in their lineup. Um, but what's most interesting is it's another game where they really lean on the third line, the lifeline, whatever we're calling that line for the Vancouver Canucks with Connor Garland, Teddy Bluger, and Dakota Joshua. They score three of the four goals. And essentially lead the Canucks to victory. And it's happened quite a bit Mm -hmm. over the last couple of months since they were put together. Yeah, it really has. And the chemistry between Joshua, Bluger, and Garland is undeniable. And there seems to be an even more special bond between Joshua and Garland with with how they create chances. Because they fought in Victoria, you know? You know, I've seen that text and that thought on Twitter countless times since the last... um, little while in the last little while right but it's actually i think there might be something there to it you know think back to like how many times did you get into a fight with somebody when you were, you were younger and then you ended up being like best buds after yeah like it happened quite a bit uh yeah my first day of college the guy uh one of one of my guys in uh the seneca radio broadcasting program <laughs> uh we instantly hated each other he hated that i was wearing a juventus jersey and did not like me from the get-go and then uh next thing you know we're like best friends yeah so it's like <laughs> yeah, something happened and you guys maybe go at it over something and yeah and the next thing you know you sit down for a beer or something and Hey, we have a lot in common. Yes. You know, hey, you're actually fun. We're buds. <laughs> yeah, hey. So, so, I mean, there might be something there to to a, to a lesser extent, but it's pretty special what they're doing. They are getting some bounces, but it's very akin to how the Canucks are playing earlier this season when we talked about, yeah, I mean, they're riding percentages, but look, they're going to the tough areas. They're yes. getting, you know, there's a reason the bounces are happening. They're there in the first place, helping those bounces along. And in many ways, that's kind of what that third line is doing right now. Like the uh, Dakota Joshua goal. I mean, it's it's a Bluegrass trying to make a nice play. Garland misses it, and it's a good defensive play. The puck just goes through, and yeah. next thing you know, Dakota Joshua's in alone, and he scores, right? The other one goes off Garland's skate, but he's standing in front of the net looking for the pass, right? Yeah. And 
If you're the in first the right one's spot, a beauty. Yeah, and the first one's like a, an amazing goal, right? But you're getting a couple bounces, but you're not getting those bounces unless you're doing the right things. Yeah, and they're connected, right? Um, I think I. I never saw like vision as one of the things that Dakota Joshua has in his repertoire, but as the season's gone on, guy's got some vision mm-hmm. and he connects play pretty well out there. And the, you know, he has the two assists last night, but of course, the first one is the big one where instead of just taking that shot immediately, he realizes if I can slide this back over to Garland, we've got a guaranteed goal mm-hmm. and he's able to make that pass. There's other moments he makes a great pass through the neutral zone to connect play and get an easy zone entry, different types of things that Joshua is doing that just really impress you right now. Yeah. You know, and he's one of the league leaders in hits. He fights for Garland last night too against Morgan Entwistle. And so it's just he can do no wrong. But he's an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. Yeah, and same for Teddy what is Bluger. It? Teddy Bluger. Uh, same for even going down the lineup a little bit on the back end for guys like Cole, yep. for instance, and even Tyler Myers, if you want to go down that far. But they have a number of Lafferty. They have a lot of pending UFAs. Guys that have become big contributors on this team. Now, you obviously can't keep everybody. No. But is there value in keeping this line together? With Bluger, Joshua, and Garling. They have been, okay, they are 16th in the league in terms of ice time together, right? So only 15 mm-hmm. other th- forward line combos have played more minutes together than Joshua, Bluger, and Garland. Lately, I know it's been pointed out that they are essentially being deployed as the Canucks' second line. They're the fourth, fifth, and sixth most played forwards on the team over the last month and a bit. So there's that. Mm -hmm. They are also, of any line that's played more than 200 minutes together, and there's not many of those. Well, there is quite a few, but only three lines that have played more than 200 minutes together have a better goals for percentage than they do. They have 21 goals for and just 10 against when they are on the ice. That is close to, if you round it up, 68%. Mm. Okay, the Capitals' fourth line, spearheaded by the great Nick Dowd, of course. <laughs> Calgary's line with Kadri, Zeri, and Pospisil. And then the best line in the league by that metric is Barkov, Reinhardt, and Rodriguez. I, I think that's that's a pretty good line. Like those are the three lines that are controlling the goals on the ice more than Joshua Bluger and Garland are. Mm-hmm. Is there value in maybe paying a little bit extra to keep these guys together going into next season? There is, but year-to-year chemistry on a line is not necessarily sticky. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think if you're keeping each one of those players, I don't think you keep them because how well they're playing together. There's right. no guarantee that's going to continue into the future to the same degree that it's happening. Now, things can change. You know what I mean? Teams play you differently after a while as well. Like, it's very fluid and it's very seldom that a trio can stay together as effectively. Yeah. We saw it with the West Coast Express, but that was like a top line. It was like Bertuzzi, Naslin, two of the best players in the league at the same time. And more lot of course. The lot of line, but that Had was a, a year. ton of success for yeah. one season. And then it really started to wane after that. Some would say. They had a really good run this year, and they should go back to it at times. Fair enough. Also, it started great, but then it started to dip a little bit. Yeah, so you're right. You can sign these guys because of how well they're playing together. Yeah. You sign each one if you value each individual individual in terms of their contributions to the team, their value to the team. Yeah. Joshua is more than just a third liner that plays five on five minutes. Mm -hmm. He's evolved into a 
not only a penalty killer, but a really good penalty killer. Yes. We all know the size element and now he's scoring and everything, but he's he's a multifaceted player all of a sudden. Teddy Bluger is a multifaceted player. All of them bring value to the team beyond just what they're doing at five on five, right? Bluger and Joshua, big time contributors on the PK. Garland is essentially the guy on the second unit power play, although the Canucks second unit power play hasn't really had much success to speak of for a lot of this season. They don't get a ton of time. Once the top unit is done, they usually maybe have 30, 40 seconds remaining in the power play. But point remains, they have value beyond what they've done at five on five. But what they've done is give the Canucks a line that other teams have to worry about. So it's not just when JT Miller and Brock Besser are out there. It's not just when Elias Pettersson is out Mm -hmm. there. There's another line that can really threaten against opposition and has, but they also play well defensively. Everything about this line has brought a ton of value to this team. It is a major reason as to why they found the success and the consistency and results that they have through the course of this season. At the same time, I have it built into me. You can never overpay for guys that just aren't truly part of your core core on your team. And I don't, like, as much as I like what these players have done, I'm not going to sit here and say that Dakota Joshua isn't absolutely a guy you can't live without. I'm not going to sit here and say that Teddy Bluger absolutely isn't a guy you can't live without. That goes without saying, but it will also be difficult to replace them. That's the the delicate balance that has to go on in the offseason beyond this year. And the other part about it too, as much as they've been on a heater this year with every player they've acquired, they're not going to hit on like 80% of the players they acquire for the rest of their tenure as a management team. You know, like it's it's one of those things too. Like they're, I mean, I'm not taking anything away from them. They've, they've done a terrific job. We trust them when it yeah. comes to player evaluation. But when we talk about this, this team being red hot, like the management team is on a bender too when it comes to the hockey decisions they've made, right? Like yep. pretty much every move is working out for them. It, it's, it's not always going to be that way. So you, you can't get caught up in the hubris of thinking that, hey, we can always find the next guy. Yeah. We'll find the next guy easily. We don't need to overspend on it. It's good to have that confidence and you should lean into that to some extent. But you have to be careful to not go too far into that. It's similar to Jim Rutherford's early tenure in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Where everything he did hit. Yeah, and it was He a trades cold. for Phil Kessel, great. He trades for Carl Hagelin, great. Trades yeah. for this guy, great. Now, like, everything he did was a home run, right? Get Justin Schultz away from Edmonton. Yeah, sure, he's going to be like one of the better offensive defensemen in the league. Yeah, he's going to fill in seamlessly for Chris Letang when he's out injured through the playoffs. He's going to be our number one defenseman in a playoff winning team, a Stanley Cup winning team. Sure. Anything Jim Rutherford touched when he got to Pittsburgh seemed to work out. And then a little bit later on, you know, he had the Ryan Reeves move that didn't work out. He had to yeah. move on from it quickly. Uh, good Branson, even. The good Branson for Tanner Pearson trade uh, was was something that was brought up immediately when he came to Vancouver, was something Vancouver fans remember well because they couldn't believe they got rid of Eric Branson in a trade. And like Marcus Pedersen, for as decent as he's been, they ended up signing him and it didn't work out as much yeah. to spend a lot of money on it. So nobody's has a clean record. So you can't all just assume, hey, re- let everybody go. We'll find the next guy. The thing with both Beluga and Joshua is they both bring give you tangible value in in areas that are hard to find. It's hard to find a player of Joshua's size yep. that can do the things he does. One of the top, more, one of the more physical wingers in the NHL too, yep. with the amount of hits he throws. Bluger's turned out to be one of the better two way 
third line centers in the NHL. We know he's always had that kind of you know potential, anyways. On the PK, he can be really good. He wins faceoffs as well. So they're not easy guys to replace. Maybe a Sam Lafferty. You look mm-hmm. at it and say, do we have to spend to keep that guy? As yeah. much as we like him, do you want to spend two, two and a half million to keep Sam Lafferty? Or would you rather spend that money on Dakota Joshua, right? Like if we're ranking the players in terms of importance, let's yeah. look at the forwards, right? Mm-hmm. So, it, and look at, we, we can look at the guys that are signed as well. Out of the secondary forwards, who's the most valuable player? The secondary forwards. So no Besser, no Patterson, no uh, Miller, and no Lindholm. He's yeah. new too. Let's just keep him out of the equation. So those are the top five guys. Um, top four. Top four, yeah. I'd, I'd still have to say Garland. He, like He is the most expensive of the bunch, but he's also... I, I don't know if this third line works without him being the play driver on that line. Yeah, I completely agree. And, I mean, we've talked so much about Garland, how much money he gets paid, and the fact he's not a fit in the top six. Not only has he found a fit, I mean, he's excelling. And if you are looking at it and saying, hey, we can't overspend, and yes, we can't get too caught up, and we can always find the next guy, do you feel confident that Garland can elevate a couple of third liners that can just forecheck and play a straight-ahead game? Yeah. Because it's not, I mean... I'm not saying this as a as a slight. In terms of their offensive ability, there's nothing super special about Bluger nor Joshua. Joshua's finish is good, but he's not this exactly this great puck handler. He, he can handle it fine, you know what I mean? He's not this high-end, talented offensive player, but yep. he's a straight-ahead player. He knows how to go to dirty areas, has a pretty good shot, finishes well. Teddy Bluger is just decent at doing things, but knows how to play the game. Can you feel like if you can find players that can do simple things, can Garland have success with those types of guys? I mean, that's one thing you can you can think about if you're keeping Garland here long term. Yeah, could that line be Suter and Garland and somebody insert another name here uh, for for next season? Yeah, like let's like say you do keep Joshua, right? Yeah. But like you can move Suter up into that. That's that's something I would think you could potentially um, look at, but. Garland is the one, and hey, I don't think his status as a Vancouver Canuck is is concrete either beyond this season. That's not to trade everybody away while they're first in the National Hockey League. I just, uh, the, the, the vibe I get from this front office is they're not really married to too many players on this roster. No, I, I don't think, I mean, they're open to just about anything, yeah. right? So, but in terms of overall importance and impact, I'd say Garland is, right? Yep. Number two, I think is a bit more interesting. Because you have Bluger, you have Hoaglander, you have Joshua, you have Suter. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact he's getting paid $4.75 million, we can't really put Mikheyev in that discussion, but he's on the list yeah. of players, right? But he's not playing like it. Lafferty and Oman, right? Like, who's the second most valuable player? For me, it's Suter. Even over Bluger? Even over Bluger, yeah. Interesting. Feel like it's Joshua over those two. Oh wow! See? Oh, okay. So we all have difference of opinions here. So I'm guessing you think it's it's Bluger, Sat. I think it's Bluger. Yeah. Yeah. And Josh, pretty shockingly, is going with Joshua. Well, not because of the name, but yeah, <laughs> but Joshua. Yes. Um, I, I could see Joshua, right? Like the the size and everything that he brings on that front. Like, like the Canucks don't have a ton of physicality. And at least he brings some of that to the team, along with a little bit of finish. The reason I say Suter, like he's played down the lineup, mm-hmm. he's played up the lineup, he's played a little bit of the wing, he's played a little bit through the middle of the ice, and everywhere they've put him, he's been able to have 
a little bit of success. You know, he had the big hat trick against the St. Louis Blues. He's maybe had a couple of injuries this year, but yeah. I've really liked what Suter's brought to this team. And I know Bluger has a high defensive IQ, and there's a reason he's the first guy over the boards for the penalty kill nowadays, but I also think Suter's done a lot of good at five-on-five defensively Mm. for the team. Remember early on in the season, there was a long period where it was like, yeah, he's like 12 goals for one against or whatever it was at five-on-five. I I truly, like for me, I I think Suter's brought an all-around game that is versatile enough to play on the wing and move up the lineup that I think this... This group really needed and has been a really good find for them. I mean, it's hard to uh, say you're wrong. I think this discussion is one of the classic ones. Like, you can make a real good argument for any one of these it's guys. It's very subjective. It is very subjective. But also, it's it's not without merit, Yeah, the arguments that everybody here is making. I mean, people are even texting in and saying Niels Hoaglander. I mean, you can make that point. He's got 17 goals. Mm-hmm. You yep. know, you know, he's he's a pretty high end goal scorer right yep. now and clearly running some percentages, writing percentages, but hey, he's got seventeen goals. At some point the production becomes undeniable and you have to just give the guy a lot of credit for what he's doing. And that's the thing with where Mikheyev finds himself now. Yeah. You know, and oh, I'm guarantee you our text line would say, keep all of these guys, get rid of Mikheyev to open up more cap space. Yeah. Right? Like that's that would be I guess right now seemingly the best move you could make because yeah all of these players are playing better than Ilya Mikheyev has in the last couple of months um Mikheyev was great at the start of the season right he was scoring quite a bit he had uh he was one of the first guys to get to 10 goals on the season on this team beyond you know the core guys and he's just really cooled down lately and he's had a tough go about it hasn't factored in on the PK as much as these other players that we're talking about, especially Bluger and uh, and Joshua. So I, I could see why, especially with the number attached to him, you would say, I'll just get rid of Mikheyev and add uh, or keep some of these guys and, and use that money to keep the guys that are working out. Um, I just, ultimately, I think Mikheyev is, when Mikheyev's going, he can be a more impactful player than some of these others. He can be, but he's not right now. He's not. You know, and it's I hard think, to make the argument with the way that he's played lately. Yeah, he hasn't and, scored uh, since before Christmas. Bottom yeah. line, <laughs> but but I mean, the thing with his contract, I see people texting in like he's not getting texts, he's not getting traded during the season. No, off season, maybe a different discussion. And if you want to make the case that you'd rather have Joshua, and you want to, if if let's say you want to keep Joshua, Bluger, um, and Lafferty, you want to yeah. th- keep those three players. Well, the only conceivable way you can do that is if you're trading Mikheyev. Yeah. Because I still don't think Mikheyev is a bad contract. Like, even his, like, when I talk about a guy, you know, I've seen people even say he's like Louis Erickson. I mean, Louis Erickson didn't even score at the rate Mikheyev has scored for the Vancouver Canucks, right? Like, he's still on pace for almost 40 points. Like, it's not like he's on pace for 20 points doing yeah. nothing, a horrible player that can't help you on the on the PK and defensively and everything. Like, he's got things that he can do and he hasn't been that bad, but he's been really cold the past 16, what, 17 games, 18 games. Yeah. Like, he's, he's gone ice cold. There's no doubt about it. He had 49 points in his first 82 games as a Vancouver Canuck. Yeah, that's... Like, f- uh, you know, it took Louis Erickson like six <laughs> years to get that. Louis he was essentially was so a fifty-point player in his first eighty-two games as a Canuck. My yeah. thing with Mikheyev though is like I I agree. I do think he he's gone really cold, but also 
I, I don't think the contract is bad necessarily. You just get to the point in the offseason where you look at what Dakota Joshua is probably going to get paid. And you like realistically, for the price that McCabe is going to get, you can probably fit in Joshua and Bluger, I would assume. Or at least like you're paying a little bit more for Joshua and Bluger combined, but it's around the same price. And like are those two, those two in my mind, yeah. are more crucial to team success than one McCabe. You're also making the bet that Joshua can maintain this and this isn't his career best season. Yeah, well, the thing is... This I don't is the first time know. he's played more than an average of 12 minutes mm-hmm. a game in a season. But also, like, he didn't really have a breakup until he came to Vancouver, right? Yeah. He was one of the guys that was kind of impacted by COVID out of college and stuff, and it was it was a bit of a weird transition for him if I remember correctly yeah. um, the reason I do think he can sustain this past this year is just because of his all around play and that's why like before I would have said hey Mikheyev is, is more valuable because he can yeah. he's great on the penalty kill he does he brings all these things but now I look at Joshua and I, I see him bringing that but also I think he's a better offensive co- contributor as well he's a better goal scorer I think Dakota Joshua is but I think in terms of his playmaking He's got good chemistry with these players, but I don't like. I, I think you have to be careful with what you expect from Dakota Joshua. Yeah, I think if you're signing him, expecting that, hey, maybe you can move him into your top six, and maybe he's going to develop into being something even greater. I just don't think that that's his profile. Like, I don't think his overall offensive abilities are strong enough to consistently play in the top six. Like, I don't right. think he's he's at that level to play at to play there. But he can certainly play on your third line doing what he's doing. And there is a real value in that. That's why we'll see what happens this offseason. The Canucks have a lot of different options at their disposal. But it's interesting that it looks like Bluger is a guy they're trying to get signed They've first. talked up uh, Teddy Bluger quite a bit. Yeah. They so have. It, it seems like he might be the guy. There's merit in all of these players. Um being potentially kept by the Vancouver Canucks. Some will have to move on as, uh, you know, some of our texts say Stanley cup contenders stay contenders because they're able to recycle players through their bottom six Mm -hmm. that fit the system for cheap and stay top heavy and maintain a strong core list of players. That's Gavin from white rock. Uh, others are saying, uh, you know, you got to keep Dakota Joshua and Suter is a star at a woodchoppers ball. Is another text yeah. that's coming. Yeah, and Lane says, uh, Bluger is easily replaced. Joshua is the only guy on the third line we will keep. Garland will be traded, and Bluger will be offered a contract, but will highly likely accept more money elsewhere. I mean, Garland could get traded. I think this offseason, this is ranking the value of the players. In terms of what the team is going to do, I mean, we could see a, dr- a dramatically different hockey team next season. Regardless of what the team does, like even if the team has success, which we you know hope they will have in the postseason and everything, they could be really different next season. It's a different discussion about hey having guys now this season and winning with them, and saying okay how many of these guys can you commit to with to big money long term, and what value do you have if you explore trades with certain other guys? Yeah. It's going to be fascinating to see how this plays out. Didn't even talk about the defense, uh, but. What I did want to say is Ian Cole is like the linchpin of the defense. Yeah. <laughs> or he has been, essentially. He's been really good. I love Susie, what he's done when he's played, but he's been injured a lot. Yeah. Our, our question was coming into the year, it's like, okay, you got Hughes and Hronick. Do you have a number three? And Ian Cole's kind of been that. Yeah. Susie's been really good when he's been in the lineup. He just has had quite a few battles with injury. I mean, let's quickly rank them. I'd say Cole, yeah. Susie, Myers, Zadorov. 
yeah, I can't, I can't disagree. With Maybe that. if you want to flip Myers and Zadora, but I mean Zadora, look at his ice time and how much he's getting used. Like you know, it shows you the level of trust. Not that they don't trust them, but. He's clearly not being utilized as much as those other guys when he's out there. Coming up, we're going to have uh, Kevin Woodley, In Goal Magazine and NHL.com. His take on Phil Kessel potentially joining up with the Vancouver Canucks. He skated with the Abbotsford Canucks earlier today. Phil Kessel Watch continues. It's Canucks Central on Sportsnet 650. The most opinionated Canucks show out there. Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drans. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back in on Canucks Central, it's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Canucks Central is for Enzyme Pacific, Vancouver's premier Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, and Jeep Superstore on 2nd Avenue between Camby and Main or at EnzymePacificChrysler.ca. We're in the Kintech studio, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? You can always uh, get your text messages in, 650-650. We'll answer a few more of those and get into overrated underrated coming up after 5 o'clock. But our next guest, he joins us via the dispatch Heating and air conditioning hotline, it is Kevin Woodley of Ingold Magazine and NHL.com. He is a presentation of White Rock Hyundai. Thanks for this, Woodley. How are you? I'm good, Reach. How are you? Uh, we're, doing, uh, we're doing fantastic. The Canucks just can't stop winning hockey games. Yeah. Um, helps on the opponents of Chicago Blackhawks, I guess. Um, <laughs> and I think, like, isn't this a little reminiscent of uh, that sort of earlier season back and forth where they were win one, lose one, they're getting even better results. And yet we know having watched them that there's better they're capable of, right? Like that's kind of the exciting part. And yet also kind of the, like makes the dog days a little bit hard to watch, watch part, but there's experimenting going on with Lindholm and finding him in the right spot. And yet through it all through, you know, utter domination for long stretches of that game. And then, you know, uncharacteristic turnovers that lead to rushes the other way that I would suggest a team not at an American Hockey League level might finish more often. Um, they manage to get results and yeah. wins and be continue to build on their lead atop not just the Western Conference, but the entire National Hockey League. Like, it's it's almost bizarre a world from where we've been for the last, like, seven or eight years. It's It's fun, and yet... I find myself trying to figure out at times how to process it. It's been so long. Yeah, and it seems like at, at every turn when you expect some sort of a, a hiccup or the schedule looks tough or you're like, hey, well, you know, look, they, they had five players at the All-Star game. Um, I'm sure they're going to be fatigued. And if you look at it, the way Pedersen, Miller, Besser have played and even Lindholm to some extent, and even Quinn at times, uh, maybe not a coincidence that, that they're not looking at their sharpest and best coming off, you know, probably a few intense days as much as, as, as it's fun. There's a lot of, you know, interviews, doing a lot of team events and everything. And you're, not, you're not disconnecting for the three days you're at the All-Star game. So the fact that they still went 3-1-1 one, and one after the break, I mean, everything kind of lined up for them to maybe not have the best five-game road trip. Yeah, and integrating a major part yeah. throughout that, right? And in different ways at different times, right? In terms of moving them around on different lines and different looks and trying to integrate them on a power play, a penalty kill as well. Like, it, again, you know, plenty of opportunities to take a bigger dip than they do and their ability to, as you said, rise to the occasion, whether it's 
when there's a big opponent coming in. And obviously Boston was the exception. And, you know, their own head coach said that alarming wasn't the word, but, like, it it raises eyebrows because of the nature of the opponent. Like, they just – this isn't going to be forever. Um, Like, I just think there's human nature, right? Like, eventually you start to overlook a Chicago or, you know – show signs of fatigue or not have effort when you've played a bunch of games in, in, in a short period of time and back-to-back and three and four. And, uh, and yet, through the depth at times, through the discipline at others, through the sheer-end skill and the high-end things, like there's different ways that they keep finding to do this. And the one thing that I think remains a staple throughout, and again, it slipped at times the other night uncharacteristically, is that defensive identity. Yeah, it's, it's really been... Uh... The thing that they lean on uh, in a lot of games, and uh, probably their best game since uh, since the All Star break was was the Carolina game last last Tuesday, and we we saw them. Uh, you know, it, was, it felt like closer to a playoff type atmosphere. There was very little time and space on the ice, and I think that's going to be something that really picks up here. The the, the level of difficulty on the schedule over these next 12 or so games is going to tick up a notch, right? You've got teams that are fighting for playoff spots. You've got teams that are firmly in playoff position. You know, the, the Jets have been one of the best defensive teams. That's coming on Saturday. It just feels like we're, we're going to find out a lot more about this team and just how much of a cup contender they might be over this next stretch where, the, where it really starts to get closer to, to playoff hockey. Yeah, and you know what, though? I think if there are moments, and I get the focus will be like Winnipeg for sure on Saturday, um, especially given the result in Boston, given what happened the last time Vegas came in here, um, we are going to have a a sharper focus on how they fare against the best teams in the league. And I think that's fair. But I also think, like, like I've also got a little grain of salt going here in that um, if there are, like, it's not going to be against every elite team. Like, there's still lessons to be learned in terms of, um, for, for the group and how these parts fit together. Like, if there's a blip, if there's a little bit of a, a downside here, even against a great team, I don't, I don't think we panic. Like, I don't think there's need to sort of, you know, start worrying too publicly, too out loud about, oh, they haven't beat good teams. I just... I just like the process that's in place. And as long as that continues, you know, I think you have to live with, you know, the possibility of off nights here and there as we go through a part of the schedule that, yeah, it's going to be tougher. And yeah, a lot of people are going to want to use terms like measuring sticks. But I I just think there is a human nature element where there's probably going to be a dip at some point just because of everything this group's been through, including the all-star break right into a five-game road trip and and what that looks like first game back. I know they'll talk about it tomorrow because we've heard it every other time, right? Like, wanting to avoid the trap of the first game game back after a long road trip. And they've done it um, every time to this point. But, like, Detroit's coming in here, I would imagine, a little pissed off after the smackdown that Edmonton laid on them last night. So that's not going to be easy either. I just, you know, again, yes, measuring sticks, they're real, and it's okay to look at them that way, but don't overreact if everyone doesn't go their way. By the time they do get to the playoffs, it's still going to be a best of seven. You don't go sixteen straight. No, exactly. And I mean, it's 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 going to be there's there's going to be challenges. We're going to see them. You know, have 
maybe some tough moments at some point, but it just seems like they're just avoiding those for the time being, at, at the very least. In terms of goaltending usage, Thatcher Demko is now on pace for 59 starts. Now, they've had some back-to-backs, too. They have one back-to-back coming up this month, and then after that, only one more later this season, and that's coming up in April. Do you, would you expect them to tail off on Thatcher Demko as the season goes on, or do you think they're, they're going to keep him on this pace where he may end up getting 58, 59, maybe even 60 starts? I mean, 58, it's not a huge difference from, like, if the ideal was going into the season, and this, this you know, I believe at one point was Jim Rutherford's words. He may not have said ideal, but he, I believe he talked about 55. And, you know, I've talked to other goalie coaches and, and teams around the league, and goalies as well, about sort of, you know, what is that sweet spot? And it kind of is between 55 and 60. Um, it's come down maybe into that 55 range. But anything in between there, like you're safe, it's, it's more about, sort of how you get there and whether there's a balance to it and whether you can find that balance down the stretch where there's time to work on your game, there's time to get rest, the body feels good heading into the playoffs. Like, I think I've been saying this for like a month. Like, your biggest thing right now is to make sure Thatcher feels good physically and feels good about his game um, when the playoffs start. And, you know, whether that ends up being a total of 58 or a total of 55 or it even hits the magic 60 mark, I don't think you panic based on the discrepancy of, you know, four or five games from your ideal, uh, as long as all the answers you're getting from him and from the medical staff, um, you know, sort of add up to him feeling good and ramping up into the playoffs as opposed to limping across that finish line uh, and feeling worn out physically as you get to the most important part of the season. Well, I think one one benefit the Canucks have over some other teams is how light their schedule is uh, through to the end of the season. They've only got two back-to-backs remaining. Compare that to the Oilers, who I think have six or seven. Uh, they're playing more than a game every other day from now until until their their season ends. You know, the, the question is going to be when do you when do you give Casey DeSmith the start when there when there isn't a back-to-back? Because there's there's going to have to be those moments where that happens. Yeah, and that's kind of that's in some ways the risk reach because in Edmonton, like there's this conversation about Stuart Skinner. I do, I do a show in Edmonton weekly and there's a lot of talk about how much he's played, um, especially after their slow start, like, you know, like playing long stretches and, and what does that look like down the stretch? Cause they've got a, they've got a much busier schedule, but in some ways the back to back ensures that his totals are down. I think they've got seven or eight left, uh, maybe seven after the one they had on the weekend, Friday, Saturday combo in LA um, and Anaheim. But that's like, those are seven or eight games that Stuart Skinner is automatically not playing, right? Like, you know that. So it's a better problem to have, but it might make it more tempting to play Demko more because it's not as condensed. And maybe that would be a worry if you didn't sort of hear all the things you've heard from this, whether it's management or coaching staff, you know, about the importance of rest. I mean, it was a couple of weeks ago, it was before the All-Star break, asking Rick Tockett about you know, some of the things we're seeing around the league trend-wise in terms of resting goaltenders and their use of a practice goalie. And it ended up being a little bit of a back-and-forth conversation where you know, he said like, he'd be willing or he'd be interested if they could figure out the, the salary cap and it worked to, you know, to have a, a third goalie used in a way that you know, Thatcher doesn't even dress on the second half of, of a certain back-to-back situation, or if you're going into a city um, late at night, and we've seen the Montreal Canadiens do this, where they actually, with three goalies, they send a guy ahead 
uh, on back-to-back. So he's not getting in at 2 or 3 in the morning. And so not saying that's going to happen here. I don't think the schedule sort of sets up that they even need it. But just to hear that there's that mindset, that awareness of the importance of rest, um, and that understanding of the need to not overwork the number one, you know, makes me confident that even though the schedule might tempt you to play him too much, they're probably not going to. No, and uh, I think especially with the cushion in the standings, there's no real need to play them too much. But it, you know, the Canucks have a real luxury at, at their disposal. Well, uh, hey, listen, cushion, yes, but like in play, like you want to stay on it. Like that's the one thing that if it gets tight, you worry about the temptation is wanting to stay out of that two, three in the Pacific division. Yeah. Like I could see temptation there if the gap got closed, but I guess that's just one more weapon. The coaching staff has, you know, in terms of psychologically in their arsenal to sort of keep the pedal down, not necessarily in terms of playing the number one goaltender, but maintaining mm-hmm. the focus of a group who has been so focused all year long. Yeah, I mean, it, it's probably difficult to maintain that throughout the entire season unless you keep finding challenges, and, and it's a good way of putting it that, putting it uh, about trying to get the first spot. Because, I mean, you know, the LA Kings are a team right now that might miss the playoffs. I mean, if they finish eight, I mean, who knows? Maybe you worry about them a little bit. But, you know, that's a team that whose goaltending now is all of a sudden under question. And, uh, you know, people are talking about maybe they should go out and try to get UC Soros, for instance. Like, what do you make of, of that maybe the situation going on with UC Soros? Do you see LA as being a fit for him? Like, what do you think is going to happen with the Predators netminder? I'm curious. I'm fascinated. The interesting thing is like, it's twofold, right? Like there's, there's talk now that, you know, this is about not wanting to invest as heavily in goaltending perhaps um, as the Saros camp, you know, would like that ticket to look like if the comparable to them is Connor Hellebuck. And the interesting thing though, is after the last couple of seasons where he's played at, or frankly above the level of a Hellebuck for the last two and a half, this is the first one where UC Saros is having a down year. I do wonder how much it's the contract distraction, um, cause I can't really figure anything else out. Cause it's not like this was like a one year blip for him. Like he was in that elite category, should have been a Vesna finalist last year, like over two seasons, kind of matching the, the, the trend of Demko kind of, they both broke in as, you know, elite starters in the same year or high end top 10 starters in the same year. And he's below expected right now, guys, like his, his numbers are like, I think minus 0.4% puts them 40th in the league in adjusted save percentage. So the Predators aren't as good as they have been in the past. They're not as tight defensively as they have been in the past. They're trading chances more than they have in the past. Uh, And yet, you know, it's not like they were a juggernaut before. um, And he just hasn't been able to sort of sustain that level. So it's interesting at a time when a guy, I don't think anybody ever thought was going to be trader at least halfway through this season. that, That wasn't the talk is suddenly available. He's also having a down season and wants a ticket comparable to Connor Hellebuck in the eight and a half million dollar range. Like it, I don't have the answers. I'm glad I don't have to figure this out. People make a lot more money than me to do so. Um, I would bet on UC Soros. Would I bet to the degree that the Jets bet on Connor Hellebuck? I don't know. I mean, so much volatility in the position this year. I'm not sure I would have placed that bet on Hellebuck. Not when you've got the Demcos of the world at five and, you know, Almark and Swayman, and there's, there's just, it's going to be really interesting with Saros and with sort of this next generation coming through. Shesterkin got paid, uh, or sorry, I think Shesterkin's next. Sorokin got paid. Like, how many of these guys are worth that $8.5 million hit? And I guess it changes with the cap going up, but I would have had Saros on that list for sure at this time last year. And now I'm, I don't have that same certainty. So, 
Uh, would he fit? Would he help? Yeah, uh, a lot of teams. I still think he's that guy. But do you say it with the same degree of certainty it would, you know, even a calendar year ago or even six months ago? Maybe not as much. Yeah, and uh, you know, all these teams that uh, feel like they they should be contenders, but have maybe uh, not found the right goalie yet. Uh, the LA's, New Jersey uh, is is another one in this conversation. They seem to be really hurting for some stable net minding, especially this season. And you know, the other name is Jacob Markstrom right now, where depending on who you ask, uh, they were pretty far down the road in trade talks with with the New Jersey Devils. Even Frank Saravalli suggesting that Markstrom was asked if he would waive his no-trade clause, his no-move clause, for a move to to New Jersey. It just it seems like New Jersey's fed up and ready to make a move. Um, and, and the way Markstrom has played, I don't think you can find a better goalie to, to add to a team right now. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure we've all seen or read or heard about the Jack Hughes comments too about how much yeah. I can't remember, you know, paraphrasing, but you know how much how much easier the game is when you get a save. Like, ouch, ouch! That sounds like my beer league team talking about me after I leave the room. Um, <laughs> it was an indirect uh, little shot at, at Vitek Vanacek, I think. <laughs> yeah, and um, listen, two different teams in LA and New Jersey in terms of what they need from a goaltender. And when I look at Markstrom, I have questions about whether he would fit in L.A. Mm. Is he a great goaltender? Yes. Does he necessarily fit a team that on most nights, and we saw what they did against Edmonton on Saturday, even if it was back-to-back for the Oilers, um, you know, they shut that down pretty good. And if you're not as busy, are you getting the best out of Jacob Markstrom? Well, you don't have that worry in New Jersey. Right, because they've never been great defensively. They're average at best. They still give up a lot, and that's where Markstrom's at his best. When he's busy, when he needs to stop bullets in his teeth, when he needs to be an acrobat and battle and make crazy saves um, one after another after another. Like, Can you say it's a fit absolutely? No, because there are no absolutes in the position of goaltending. But I like the fit of Jacob Markstrom in New Jersey, and that feels like one where... You know, if you're going to make that move, make it soon so he can get comfortable mm-hmm. and get comfortable with his reads and get comfortable with the new personnel and, and have their tendencies. But that's, that's one that almost feels like a bit of a no-brainer. I remember I was on uh, Sportsnet 960 in Calgary last week going into that game, almost like just before the pregame show, and I said, you know, if Calgary wants to drive up the market price for Markstrom, all they needed to do was get out shot badly by the Devils and beat them, and that's exactly what Jacob did that night. So, um would I? He should win the Vesna Trophy at this point if you were voting right now. That's how good he's been this year. And yet, I wouldn't pick him as a fit for every team we just talked about, but the Devils are definitely one where you'd like to see what that would look like and, and, and how good that could be because there's obviously a lot of pieces there, uh, and I think he's the kind of guy that would thrive behind that environment. The, the thing I'm really fascinated about, if one or both these guys get traded, Soros and Markstrom, is what the price is going to be in return. Because some of the stuff we've heard about Nashville is that they want, you know, an impact player in return for Soros. They view him as such a high value player. But typically, we don't see goaltenders go for that type of value. And I mean, I'm sure they'd be willing to maybe trade a first round pick and a prospect or something. But that's what I'm curious about. Will we see maybe a market setting trade where something like a valuable young player goes or a star player goes the other way? Because we typically don't see that with goaltenders. I, I don't think so, Seth. Like, and that's that's why I still don't see it happening. Mm-hmm. 
um, just because of that volatility that we're seeing around the league. Like, um, has ESPN released its top 10 list for the their poll of, you know, peers and players and management? For Have they released the goaltending one? I haven't seen the goaltending one yet. Okay, so I can't comment on it. Um, I was going to say, <laughs> there are a lot of names yeah. that we would typically throw out as being the top goalies in the league. Like just, and, and I wouldn't bat an eye at agreeing with, with that type of list and be like, yeah, absolutely. That's, that guy's a top 10 goalie, top 15 goalie. And a bunch of them, in that case, when you see the list, half aren't even in the top 30 this year in adjusted save percentage. Like that's the volatility that makes a deal like that so tough to, to pull off. And in Saros's case, you're only getting them for the rest of this year at, at, at sort of, you know, better than market value. You're gonna, if you're going to have to pay them, then, you know, does that uncertainty scare you even more? And, are you, and you're less willing to give up big futures because you're not sure how it works, not just in the short term, but in the long term. It's, it's tough. And, and my hunch is that we don't see the prices go up, that we don't see that value attached to it. Uh, and a lot of people will point to, you know, what, what Vegas did and how many guys they went through before they ultimately won a cup with Aiden Hill uh, and, you know, arguably how little they had to pay, pay to keep him. Um, but to me, it, it's less about the ability to find a guy in a cheap because I can find you, as you just did, multiple teams that couldn't and still don't have the guy while trying to do it that way. Uh, but that still doesn't guarantee spending or uh, either in terms of spending big to make a trade or spending big to sign a guy. doesn't mean that's going to be a guaranteed fit either. I mean, even look at the Markstrom from year to year since he arrived in Calgary. There's been wild swings in place. So uh, I think that uncertainty will keep the market cool on goaltending. Especially with both of the teams in question, Nashville and and Calgary, uh, having Saros and and Markstrom potentially on the market. The thing about them that, like, they're both teams in in transition and they both have, like, arguably the the two best goalies that aren't in the NHL right now in in Dustin Wolf and, and Yaroslav Askarov. Like, it seems like a no brainer if you can if you can get a pretty good haul for those guys, at least you have the guy in waiting ready to come up. Well, in Nashville's case, a little more so in terms of right now, um, just again because it's more about hey, if we're not going to pay Saros, uh, we don't want to pay that rate. Right, right. Then he might as well make that transition. The, what makes this a tough call in Calgary is the fact they're hanging around in the playoff race. Yeah. Right? Because Markstrom has been – you know what? It's kind of like the Canucks two years ago when they sort of had a chance to hang around in the playoff race, and we all knew it was only because of Thatcher Demko. Yeah. Right? During the Bruce Vibes year uh, season, after he came in and everything turned around and they went on that great run, but they were getting, like, incredible goaltending. And that was masking a lot of problems. And the next year we saw those problems. Dustin Wolf is an NHL goaltender. He's probably ready for the league. I believe he is. And I believe he's going to be really good for a long time. But there's going to be a step back as he adjusts and learns the league, asking him to be Jacob Markstrom or expecting him to be Jacob Markstrom. Uh, like in a year where I just told you, like he should at this point win the Vesna hands down mm-hmm. statistically. Like that's a big ask. Right, like that's no, There's only one guy performing at the level of Jacob Markstrom this season. So chances are, um, as good as Wolf is, expecting him to replicate that's just not fair. And so you're essentially throwing in the towel on the season if you make that move. And I just get the sense in Calgary that's not something. You know, kind of reminds me a little bit when I talk to people there about sort of the mandates of what went on here for years. 
the chance to get in and have a shot uh, supersedes making a move that might make more sense in the long term. Uh, final thought from you, not goalie-wise, Phil Kessel. What, what, what's your take on the Canucks uh, taking a look at Phil Kessel? No harm. Yeah. Um, you know, and I know a lot. You know, it's funny because one of the things that I've heard push back the other, well, I mean, listen, there are questions that are fair for sure. But if one of your questions is, oh, he didn't even play in the playoffs last year, well, guess what? Neither did Teddy Bluegren. How's he doing? Yeah. Right? Like on that, on that Vegas team, he wasn't a part of that playoff run from start to finish. And right now he's the center on one of the better third lines in the league. You could probably make arguments the best third line in the league, at least in terms of what they're doing right now. And so I kind of, like to me, this is about the trust that Talkit and the management has in Phil Kessel and whether they think he's capable of living up to those levels physically. Um, and, and I guess time will tell. I also hear a lot of stuff, questions about defensive play. And, and listen, like I, I'm not looking at underlying numbers or anything like that, but Rick Tockett's going to know what he can and can't do, what he will and won't do within the structure of this system. And I got to think that he's realistic about those things and understands because the one like you can't, have a 39-goal score and Andre Kuzmenko become the whipping boy and sit him for all the things he doesn't do on the wall, away from the puck, turnovers, and ultimately trade him, and then bring in Phil Kessel and allow him to do those things. And I don't think they would. I think they understand that a hell of a lot better than I do. Yeah. Um, so any decision to bring him in, I think, is going to be with those understandings baked in. And therefore you know, less of the concerns that I hear from others. Does that mean it necessarily works? No. But, you know, I think if anyone knows how and why it can or whether it will, it's probably the group that's making that decision. And now it's just a matter of whether everybody's honest with themselves about where he's at. And I don't have a clue, right? Like I didn't even get out to Abbotsford to watch him skate today. So, um, and judging him on the first skate at that level in a long time probably isn't fair either. So, uh, I'm curious to see where this goes. It doesn't cost you anything except the remaining cap space and figuring that out. And I would trust that this staff is able to look past any personal biases and recognize what they can and can't get out of Phil Kessel uh, and whether that's enough. Woodley, you're the best. Thanks for this. Thanks, guys. Uh, there is Kevin Woodley. He is on Sports at 650, brought to you by White Rock Hyundai. Visit the showroom on King George or in White Rock. Or- on King George in White Rock or WhiteRockHyundai.com. And he joined us on the Dispatch Heating Air Conditioning Hotline, the first call, the only call. Coming up, it's overrated, underrated on Canuck Central.